Hello, world. Welcome to another week of Golf Subpar. Colt Nost and Drew Stoltz. And Sleaze, let's just get it out of the way. Congratulations on a much-needed victory at the Zurich Classic. You picked the team of Cam Smith and Mark Leishman. Finally. All the cliches, all the inch-by-inch, brick-by-brick, all that talk. Finally paid off. Needed a dub. Got a dub. Back in the mix. Made it a ball game. Finally picked the team with some heart. Closed it out at the end. Did a little scary. Didn't didn't know if we were going to need a playoff or not, but uh, got it done at the end. Uh, but dude, what a that's a fun golf tournament. It's, I feel like it's been weeks since we had a real like shootout coming down the stretch that had some drama in it. This, this week had it, and that alternate shot format. I think, you know, talking with my friends too, that is a fun format to watch. Like I don't know if once is enough for the year they add it a, like another event like that, but it's fun to watch. I think one team event is plenty. It mixes it up. It's fun. I think if you do it too often, it'll kind of just you know get a little old. But yeah, the alternate shot is awesome. You should send Louis Ustase a little thank you note for blowing that one in the water there in the He's playoff. Listening. But, um, man, congratulations to Mark Leishman, Cam Smith, some of the favorites going in. Cam Smith, I mean, just it's a joke how good this guy's short game is. It is impressive to watch and and almost as impressive as that hair. Oh, my God. Thing looks incredible. He told his girlfriend he was going to uh, cut it if he got it when he won on the PGA Tour. Now he's won. We'll see if that actually happens. I would advise him against that because once you get the ball rolling in the right direction, don't mess with the mo. He's got juice out there. I mean, everything looks good. And when I was picking that team last week, I was like, what a nice safety blanket it is to have a guy like Cam Smith with that short game. You really can't put him in any bad spots where he's not going to give you a chance to get up and down. He did it over and over. But Leishman's short game not getting enough credit. He had some really cool shots out there. I mean, how bouncy was that? Play's played awesome. It was bouncy. It was firm. He was taking out that little middle iron and just kind of hooding it a little, playing that hook shot, rolling it up stiff. Um, that alternate shot, you got to have a couple dudes with some short games to get it done. But, um, man, they were they – were, rock solid all week but that was just a fun tournament to watch i loved it i wish they'd put like a team event maybe in the olympics to add a little spice to that since nobody seems to really give that much love yeah it was a great great idea by zurich and the pga tour to make that um a team event because it you know it draws guys there because it's something different it's fun you don't get to play team golf that much unless you're the top players in the world and now if you're on the pga tour you can experience if you if you want in new orleans such a great city i was there all week had an absolute blast a little tired but mm. I'm, I'm ready to recover and do it all over again in tampa down at the Valspar this week. But, Sleaze, before we get to our guest, Sean McDonough, we got this awesome swag. There he is. Birdie Juice. He there's looks, that little beautiful incredible. creature. And we know there's been a few issues with a little bit of the shipping. We're, we want to apologize for that first. There was a little glitch. We got it all fixed. Your stuff will be getting there very, very soon. And we hope this does not happen in the future. But still, go check it out at the golf.com pro shop. Got all the Birdie Juice. Got some more stuff coming. Got some hats. Got some visors for the visors. Visor are coming for yep. the large domed fellas. But, yeah, we appreciate everyone reaching out. Our first run. It sold out quick, but we haven't got all the kinks worked out, but it is getting worked out, and everybody will get their stuff, and we got more stuff coming, too, so we're going to keep just kind of filling the filling the assembly line going forward with some new gear. Yep, so go to golf.com, get on that pro shop, go to the subpar section, and buy up all the birdie juice, all the get amongst it swag. All right, let's get to our guest this week, Sleaze. His voice, slightly better than ours. Slightly. doesn't sound like he's coming off a four-day bender every single time he gets on gets on the mic. But yes, our good friend Sean McDonough, who's made a, a little home here in Scottsdale, comes in and out, called some of the biggest games in the world, does a great job. Kind of a utility guy, calls everything. He can Football, do it all. Baseball, basketball, hockey. He knows so much stuff about every single sport. But a great dude, great stories, and a, a pretty solid little golfer, too. Yeah, and you can find him on ESPN. Basically, it seems like all year long. Yeah. Just awesome to listen to. Very knowledgeable guy. And here he is, Sean McDonough on Golf Subpar. All right, the man with us today, I would say, is one of the most dangerous 10 handicaps in all the land. He's also happens to be one of the best sports broadcasters in the game. Football, basketball, baseball, hockey, the luge, luge. I might add. If it's a sport, he calls it ESPN broadcaster. Sean McDonough, 
pleasure to have you, brother. Thank you. I would rather be a good 10 handicap than a good sports broadcaster. Hey, it's you're doing sick. both right now. It's sick how important golf is to those <laughs> of us who love the sport and how our mood is affected by it. But it's always a pleasure to be with you, too. I like having a good 10 handicap on my team, though, for gambling purposes. You have invited me once or twice, yes. I think, because... Uh, you know, the fun thing about playing with, with you and the other guys out at the other pros out at Whisper Rock is, you know, if I'm a 10-11 and you guys have to play as a plus four, plus five, you know, I basically get a stroke a hole. Like, me and I could make a few yeah, pars. A few pars in there. Right? So yeah. I, I have to help at some point. So it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, you got the Syracuse sweater on right now yes i didn't know this was televised well we're a casual show, show our female fans watch we're a well, casual and i understand show. that yes. i'm sure you're we, huge we shirtless the quite often actually. audience <laughs> but you got to be excited about them right now i really am i love syracuse i've said many many times that one of the best things that's ever happened to me in my life was having gone to syracuse and the connection that i've kept with the university for all these years and you know, Coach Beheim is a dear friend, really, because I love his wife, Julie, who's mentioned many times on national TV when they play, and with good reason. She's a rock star, and, and she's Buddy's mom. Thank yeah. God she brought Buddy man. into this buddy, world, because Buddy's dealing right now. is getting it done. Is, dealing. What is it with Syracuse? Syracuse is one of, the, like, three big sports journalism schools, sports no, broadcasting it's one. schools. It's is it one is of one? one. <laughs> well, we might, that was we insulting. Might, we, no, we might touch on that a little bit later. But what well, is it I about hope we Sy do. Is that just historically? That's where everybody goes. They have the best program. It's like going to Harvard for whatever. Yeah, and it medicine. really happened by accident because I don't know if you guys have heard of Marty Glickman, but if you haven't, you should. Marty Glickman was a great athlete, was a football player at Syracuse in the 1930s, and was a track star. There's a documentary out there about him that's fantastic. And I would encourage anybody to find it. But Marty was an accidental broadcaster. He told the story when he was in school there. There was a radio station. Now, this is, you know, the beginning of radio. Radio, and, yeah. Uh, they wanted somebody to broadcast a high school football game. So they reached out to the star of the football team, Marty Glickman. He said, I, I don't know anything about announcing anything. And they said, and I'm going to botch the facts, but it was something like, we'll give you 10 bucks. He said, Okay, deal. Right, deal. So I'll figure out how to do it. So he did it. He was great. He loved it. He became a broadcaster, became the voice of the New York Knicks and the New York Giants. And, you know, a lot of people in the New York area who wanted to be broadcasters idolized Marty Glickman. So, like, Marv Albert went to Syracuse because Marty Glickman went to Syracuse. So then, you know, that started this chain. It's almost like they built the sports broadcasting program after the fact, you know, they said, oh, all these kids are coming here to be sports broadcasters. We we better build up the program. You know, Bob Costas. That's why I went to Syracuse, because Marty Glickman went there, Marv Albert, Dick Stockton, Bob Costas, who's about 10 years older than me. And I think that's just continued. You know, now kids who grow up wanting to be a sports broadcaster want to be Mike Tirico or Dave Pash or any of the other guys who have come there. We it's like Duke for hoops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. we should have gone we there. Up. We messed up. What sport bro sports broadcasting, like a major, you go in there, Are you? you so you're training to, to call games and things like that. What do you do in no class? There's no specific the best major. No, and it was, uh, and it's changed since I was there, obviously, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. But the, <laughs> uh, you know, when I got there, you had to spend basically the first two years with what they call the liberal arts core, where you had to take a math and a science and a, I was way ahead of my time in that regard because, you know, it's very common now in sports to talk about tanking. Yes. When I got to Syracuse, you had to take a, a math. And everybody, one of their first days on campus, went down to Manly Fieldhouse, which was the old basketball arena before they moved into the Carrier Dome. 
and uh, you took a math placement test. And then depending on how you did, they told you which math you were in. So I kind of heard through the grapevine that, you know, it didn't matter which math you took. You just needed to take a math and pass. Or, so I tanked the test so I could have the easiest math because ah, I'm a spastic. Brilliant. Smart. Algebra 101. Yeah. That's like handicap management. A, yeah. I don't need to be taking some <laughs> hard calculus or statistics. So, um, but anyway, uh, it, they didn't, they still don't have a specific sports uh, broadcasting major. They have a broadcast journalism major. They have started this sports media center there to make it a little more specific uh, to sports broadcasting because there are a ton of young people who are coming there just to be sports broadcasters. You know, I would say dozens, if not hundreds, every year. You, That's know, a fact you know how I know he's one of the best, though? You just watch him right now. You know, he's talking with his hands, but all the other people that come in here, they beat on the table. Sean, yeah, we do, Sean, too. Sean is very aware. <laughs> yeah. He don't, just goes like this. The audio he people hate it. Doing. Audio people don't Such like it when you bang on the table. Yeah. At what age did you know? Obviously, I mean, your dad was a legend growing up. Boston Globe, CBS, NBC, football. At what age did you know like this is what you wanted to do? Five. I mean, was this that was, long? I mean, your really. voice is just obviously. If people didn't know who you were and they heard you talk, you'd be like, "Oh, he's a sports broadcaster." No oh, doubt. Oh, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, that kind of happened by accident. But the, uh, you know, I my dad, as you said, was a sports writer for the Boston Globe. You know, when I was a kid, the seasons didn't overlap as much, so he covered everything, but mostly football. You know, that's what he was best known for. Particularly many years later, when I was in high school and heading into college, when he became the first information man on the NFL Today with Brent Musburger and the late great Irv Cross. I was sad to hear he just passed away. He was a really, really nice man. I actually had a chance to do games with Irv when I was at CBS. But um, yeah, I'd follow my dad around. The, the, the most important thing, uh, Colt, when I was a kid was we went to spring training with the Red Sox in Winter Haven, Florida. And I'd get homeschooled in the morning and then I'd go to the park with my dad. And the writers couldn't have their kids in the press box because if you know you let one kid in, everybody had to come. So. My dad was friendly with the Red Sox radio announcers. They said, Sean can sit in the back of our booth. I and mean, that's our booth. You know, we can dictate who is allowed in. So I would sit there and, and I'd watch them as much as I'd watch the game. And I remember oh. thinking, you know, that looks fun. So I had got a little tape recorder and I'd sit in front of the TV <laughs> at home and annoy the crap out of my family, you know, broadcasting. Back then, that was the heyday of the Boston Bruins with Bobby Orr and all, you know, and I would broadcast every game that came on the TV. And uh, I'm sure it was horrific for my family, but they tolerated it. And I knew I was very lucky. I knew when I was five, six years old, this is what That's I wanted awesome. to do. So growing up, you were trying to emulate like the broadcasters you were hearing on the, on the broadcast, as opposed to like the players. You're like, I want to be that guy. And I'm still that way. You know, I talk to friends of mine who are refs and when they watch a sporting event, they're critiquing the officials. Mm -hmm. um, broadcasters are critiquing the other broadcasters or the producing or directing the camera work as much as we are watching the game. Um, so you know that's definitely true. Who are some of your favorites to listen to in today's sports? When you're when you're not when you're on the call, who do you enjoy you listening know, to? I guess because I appreciate that this isn't easy. I have friends of mine who say all the time, "Oh, it's easy. Anybody can do that. Just sit there and talk about the game." And I said, "Well, come to the booth sometime and sit there and, and watch this." And then and you you've done it. You guys have both done it now. You've been you know on national TV doing a great job, by the way. Well, thank you. And it was fun to be with you at Harding yeah. Park. And uh, we had a few chuckles. We're going to do it again in yes, a few weeks. Yes, we are. We had a couple of little inside yeah. zingers, too. Yes, were, send uh, them, send them boys. Yeah, but... Just um, say patrons. Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, to me, there's nobody better today than Jim Nance. You know, and I'm biased because I love Jim so much as a person. You know, you guys know him. You know, there's he's just a wonderful guy, you know, and doesn't make it about him. 
can do anything, whether it's play-by-play, -play, interviewing, studio hosting. You know, Mike Tirico's the same way. Uh, you know, I when I grew up, it was Kurt Gowdy. You guys are probably too young to remember him, but he did every big game. Back then, there were just a couple of networks. You know, there weren't all these networks. There was no Fox. Uh, there was no ESPN. There were no regional sports broadcasts. So it felt like Kurt Gowdy, when I was a kid, was on every Super Bowl and Rose Bowl and World Series. And uh, he was great. Dick Enberg, I loved. You know, just same thing. Rose to the occasion at the big moments. Great storyteller. Yeah, um, awesome. Never made it about himself. Where's your Boston accent? Because you're a diehard Boston guy. Roots all through there. Typically, you can spot a Boston guy from a mile away as soon as you hear him. You don't have that. Is that something no. you had to work on for broadcasting? I got rid of it, but it was wicked it? hot, dude. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Yeah, get some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's I never really had it. And it's a mystery, I think, to all of us because my parents both had it. You know, people yeah. remember watching my dad on the NFL today. I remember being at Syracuse in the dorm, and one time a friend of mine knocked on the door on a Sunday afternoon said, I was just watching your TV, your dad on TV. He said, Ken O'Brien has a sore arm. Mm -hmm. What's an arm? You know, ha, ha, ha. So, uh, yeah, my parents both had it, but none of us, I'm the oldest of five, and none of us really have it, and I don't know why. We had a guy call into our SiriusXM show the other day, and it's, our producer puts it in and said, you know, Michael from Boston. And, I mean, it was the thickest Boston accent ever heard. No R's in any word. It was I fantastic. thought it was a prank. I was yeah. like, is this going to be some spoof question? Because it was the <laughs> thickest thing you've ever heard. But oh, you, you hear you on the broadcast and there's nothing. There's and you know no, what bothers no. me? Every now and then in certain words, it'll come out. Um, but what bothers me is when you see movies and it's, or, you know, I think Saturday Night Live has done sketches about this too. Like the really bad Boston accent. <laughs> yeah, the one uh, with Affleck with the, you know, at the party. That was one of the yeah, best. Yeah, you know, I think Seth Meyers has done, you know, it's like, Towns near Boston, you know, um, the, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's poorly imitated in a lot of TV and, and movies, but, um, I think a gentle Boston accent, that it might be an oxymoron is, is a good thing, but a, a harsh Boston accent is wicked harsh. And I, I think it can be a little, a little tough on the ears. What, yeah. was, what was it like starting with the Red Sox at such a, such a young age? I mean, you were four years out of college and mm. you got the job. To be the you guys actually prepare for this? A little bit. It's weird. It is weird. I yeah. think it's, it's, uh, it's producer do very unexpected. Very off-brand. Mark. The guy <laughs> Mark. There you go. Mark and Zach out yeah. there. Out there. Um, yeah, it was, It was. you know, I felt like I deserved it, in, if only because when I went to Syracuse, I did minor league baseball. One of the great things about the student radio station at Syracuse was we had the broadcast rights for the Toronto Blue Jays AAA team, their top farm team, the Syracuse Chiefs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if you won the audition to stay for the summer and broadcast those games, you were doing 140 games a summer of AAA baseball while you were 19 years old, 20 years old. So by the time I got out of college, I had done probably 400 minor league games, so at the highest level of the minor league. Yeah. So, you know, I felt like I was ready to do it, and... You know, it was difficult in the sense that you know, when I got the job, there was like the headline in the other paper in Boston that my dad didn't work for, the Herald, was where there's a will, there's a way. Uh, so it's like you got this job because you're your dad. Yeah. And, you know, that was hard. Um, but Jim Baker, the TV critic for the Boston Herald, to his credit, the first game I did, I'll never forget, I still have the clip. He said, you know, even you know the harshest critics of Sean McDonough being hired have to admit he did an excellent job on opening day, blah, blah, blah. And then Jim was very nice to me thereafter, too. So, uh, you know, 
it, it may be the connection the helps open doors, but I also think my dad got me fired twice. So uh, <laughs> pretty sure the Red Sox ownership really didn't like him. Yeah. And uh, I don't think uh, it, it helped me much at CBS either uh, when I left. And so Thanks, probably opened a couple of doors, but I'm pretty sure he got me canned twice. Not that him, is. but... The, the relationship that he had or didn't have in these cases uh, with some good. people. Starting off in the AAA and then going to the Red Sox, I feel like baseball, just from the outside looking in, has got to be the hardest sport to broadcast because it's like, okay, first pitch one, uh, low and outside, ball one. Now you got Pause. 72 seconds before another pitch is thrown. It's another ball, low and outside. Like There's so much dead air to fill. Is baseball not the hardest? It can be uh, if it's like that, if it's a slow Boring game with not a lot happening. I, as you guys know, because you were patient enough to wait for me to be here, I was just on a Zoom call with uh, Red Sox president Sam Kennedy and the GM of the Red Sox, Heim Bloom. And uh, it was very nice to do that. They did it with all of us Red Sox broadcasters. And I'm going to do 40 games for them on radio this summer. But one of the topics that came up was the pace of play. You know, and the, as broadcasters, we were begging them to use whatever influence they have. To, you know, I think there should be a pitch clock. There just needs mm. to be. I think America is losing interest in baseball in large part because it's so slow. It takes, yeah. It takes for you know, and, and and there's to your point, Drew. There's nothing to say when the pitcher is walking around the mound for 40 seconds. Rub the ball, look around. Yeah, I mean, you can I mean, try to tell stories and whatever, but you can only say so many times. The wind's blowing out toward right, and the left fielder is shading the line, and you know, it's it's. It's not fun, and I think it's hurting them not just in their uh, broadcast coverage, but in terms of interest in the game among fandom. And I think it's going to continue to fade if they don't if they don't address it. But a great baseball game's great, and baseball I think is the most natural of the four major sports for the radio. It's a great radio sport if it's a if it's a good game. But um, yeah, it's hard when it's slow. And you got to have another guy in the booth with you that who can you can rap back and forth and make. Well, I've been very lucky 90 in that seconds regard. out of nothing. Yeah, I've been very lucky. You know, not just when I, with the Red Sox and the other baseball I've done, but in the other sports. I've worked with a lot of great people who are great at what they do. You know, we did it in golf. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that that is a huge part of it, too. You know, it's you're part of a team, and you're most of the time you're half of it. So if the other half isn't good or isn't fun to be with, it can make it a really tough experience. You know, a story about your point about how slow the game is. The when we had the the rights on the student radio station at Syracuse, the it was a twenty four hour a day student staffed, uh, student talent on the air radio station. So most nights after the game was over, there would be a, a music shift, and it was a wide range of musical interest back then. So whoever was the DJ who was going to come on. Uh, had to be the engineer back in the studio for the game. You know, play the commercials. And so we had a guy who I won't mention. It was like a heavy metal. He had no interest in baseball at all. And it, it was, he considered punishment to engineer the game. So we were doing a road game one time in Tidewater. The, the New York Mets farm team was the Tidewater Tides. We had a PSA that aired as one of the commercials. It was for the National Association of the Blind. And it started out, my name is Edna. And I'm blind. And I'm, blah, blah. so I'm doing the game. Here's the pitch, ball two. And all of a sudden I hear in my headset down the line, my name is Edna. And I'm like, well, <laughs> the guy, Gil, I'll just say his first name back in the studio, was bored. So he thought he'd amuse himself by just, you know. <laughs> so, you know, when we got to the commercial, I'm like, hey, Gil, could you cut the crap, please, with my name is Edna? You know, it's uh, 
it's supposed to be a somewhat professional operation. But yeah, sometimes the boredom of baseball can can cause people to do things they might otherwise <laughs> I, not do. I mean, I think even in our game in golf, I mean, pace of play, speeding it up would help the broadcast. Well, and you know what? Well. I th- thought, and I was really proud to be a part of it. We got a lot of great, uh, not we necessarily, but the people who made the decision about the pace at which we showed golf shots mm-hmm. uh, at ESPN at the PGA Championship. We were going shot, shot, shot. I mean, it wasn't watching guys line up putts and let's talk about this guy for 45 seconds. I, th- I think, and Mike McQuaid led the way, our mm-hmm. producer at ESPN, uh, I think people who love golf and who are watching this, you know, especially when they're on the app or ESPN Plus, they want to see golf. Yeah. And we got a lot of, we ESPN, got a lot of praise for the pace of our coverage and um, I think deservedly so. And I think the other networks would be wise to emulate it. I think they, they're moving in that direction, but I, I still think the pace of golf on TV could be a lot faster. Yeah, that's the big grief with golf. It's like there's too much fluff. There's too much stuff. I and mean, we only show four guys or whatever. You don't see all the action, but that was, that's a, a good job by you. How, how different is it for you going from baseball where it's like, okay, 72 seconds in between pitches, fill this airtime and t- ramble about whatever you can to going to golf where it's like you got 10 seconds, say something good, and then shut up. Right. And as you guys both know, the hard part about golf is when they come to you on your hole or when you're an on-the-course commentator, you don't know how long they're coming to you for. You know, are they going to stick around and watch the guy you know, finish the hole, knock in his three-foot par putt? Are they going to show somebody else on the same green putt next? Or are they going to you know, go off to another hole and maybe come back to you? Maybe not. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got from anybody in all the time I've been doing this now is when CBS added me to the Masters coverage in 1996. And the late, great Frank Chikinian was still in charge of CBS Golf. And he's, you know, he invented golf on TV. And he said to me, the most important advice I'm going to give you is, he said, we have you on here in part because we have enough golf people. We need more announcer types. And you're a good storyteller. And I like storytelling. But... I'm not going to wait for you to finish your story. You know, if Phil Mickelson is putting on the 12th hole to take the lead, we're going to go there fast. So whatever story you tell, you need to be able to finish it at the end of each sentence. And he gave an example like, uh, you know, I talked to Tiger Woods on the practice screen this morning, and he said he's using a new putter. Like, well, you could stop after that. And he's using this new putter because whatever, it's longer, it's slightly more loft, whatever. But, you know, and it's actually a great skill that applies to all the other sports, too. But Frank said, you know, I'm not going to wait while you say, you know, I talked to Drew Stoltz this morning and he said, let's go to 16. You know, you're like, I'm, we're going. So yeah. you can't be talking. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. So it was great advice. And it, 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 that's part of the difficulty of, of doing golf. And you have to pay attention because, you know, as you guys both know, a lot of golf coverage on TV is on tape. I don't know what percentage it is, but it's a high percentage. And it's, it has to be because they're on 18 holes and then there's multiple places on each hole where people are playing. You can't show it all live. I mean, it's impossible. So, so to me, I've always, I think some of the most talented people in sports TV are the producers and the directors and the associate producers and the people in the tape room who not only are figuring out, okay, what's live and what's on tape, what should we show live, what should we show on tape, but then they've got to get it in the right sequence. And they have to make sure, like, let's don't update the scoreboard until, you know, we show the guy putting on tape, even though we know he's already eight under. Let's keep it at seven under until we show him making that putt. So there's so much that goes into golf on TV. I don't know how it even gets on the air. Yeah, they do an unbelievable job. But you mentioned you started at the Masters in 96. 
the 97. I think it was our friend McCord, thank God, who got himself in trouble that opened up a spot. <laughs> he slid, he, you slid I, right into I, Cougar's I, spot. I'm pretty yeah. sure, you know, and I used to say to him, like, don't apologize. Don't, you know, just you stick to whatever your principles are, but I want to keep my spot. It was a matter of time. It was a matter of time. Yeah. But then 97 rolls around, and this guy Tiger kind of splashes mm-hmm. on the scene. What was that week like for you being at a good oh, national just, with Tiger? Oh, just, you know, one of the things I appreciate about this job is when you get a chance to witness true, true, uh, true greatness. And, you know, that's what we're witnessing, something that's, you know, you, you just knew. This, this guy is, he's not unlike everybody else in the history of the game. He's pretty darn close. And, uh, you know, my first one, if I, if I have my math right, was the year that Greg Norman blew the lead. And I had to kind of give the yeah. eulogy because uh, as he got late in the round, and that was hard, you know, because you do, you, know, you don't want to bury the guy too much, but you also want to try to put in some t- sort of historical context, uh, you know, involving where does this rate among, I don't know if it was a collapse because Faldo played well, really well, but. Um, 78 on Sunday with the league. Yeah, it was, it was probably. A, <laughs> I don't know about well. Yeah, there's probably a few shots. Right, I over. guess. But, you know, and plus, you know, here I am brand new, and, you know, you don't want to be the guy to, you know, to bury him, but you also, we always owe it to the audience to say whatever is the most pertinent thing at that time. So, but that was a real treat. You know, that's someplace that's more than lives up to the hype. You know, you go there with expectations. You think there's no way these are going to be matched and then they're surpassed every time, no matter how many times you've been there. Well, that's, um, well, as I say, that's perfect because you, you say, it, you know, it lives up to the hype and you've been to every arena, every ballpark, every stadium there is. What are some of those other places that you go to and you're like, wow, this place is truly special? Um, Fenway Park. Kind of Shocker. Yeah. Wow. A lot of places. Uh, you know, college football, you know, a lot of the places that you would think are great are. Um, I love going to Ohio State. I'm still a sucker for the dotting the I in Script Ohio. Um, almost any place in the SEC. Um, Allen Fieldhouse in college oh, basketball. Man. No offense to the Duke people, but I would take that over. Cameron. Really? Oh, nice. Um, That's a bold statement. And, and I, I, with a qualifier. Um, all of my experience for many years in Cameron was as a broadcaster. So it was tilted toward the negative because the broadcast position there is awful. You know, you're in a little basket that hangs from the roof. It's a terrible vantage point. You can't even stand up straight. You know, I can't even. So imagine, you know, a guy like Billis, who's six six or whatever he is, six seven. You know, you're whacking your head off pipes, and uh, it's hard to see. It's super hot. I, was say, I heard it gets a little warm oh, up there. Oh, <laughs> super hot. You know, they tell they told stories about the late great Rick Majerus, who you know was oh, a was a, a large yeah. man. Yeah. You know, you had to climb a ladder to get up there. You have to climb over fans to get to the ladder. You know, it's just so. I really didn't like going there. Not only, you know, it was like, oh, Cameron, but I, I just didn't want to do a game there, even though it's Cameron. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a game as a fan, and it's a, a completely different. As a fan, it's it's awesome. Cool. I mean, it's it's deserving of, you know, it's ranking among experiences because as a fan, it was fantastic. Yeah, those little small gyms in college basketball are the best, where they get loud. It feels but like the Carrier Dome is pretty awesome, too, now. <laughs> yeah, that's a monster. Carrier yeah, Dome. That... Well, that's cool with 35,000 people in there you know, for a basketball game. You know, the, have either of you ever been there? No, that's a hard place to get to. You know, just stumble upon Syracuse. We yeah. have planes that go yeah, there. Yeah, they do go they there. They have cars. They do go there. It takes a lot of hours to get there. <laughs> it's and really then cool cars. There, well, yeah. it depends on where you're coming from. Yeah, true. From you know, here. Yeah, from, from here in Arizona, it's, it is a long trip. And that's one of the things about 
you know, my experience now at ESPN doing ACC basketball every Monday on the big Monday, this is a plug, but big Monday. So yeah. it won't be till next January, but it, it's hard to get, you know, from Phoenix to Durham. Yeah, that's a Phoenix long trip to, for you. Yeah, there's some trips. small towns too in there. But to get back here, you know, for the extra couple of hours each way, each week to come back here and have it be what we experience here uh, with the weather and getting to hang around get to with hang guys, out with guys like, guys like, you, like us, shit, Whisper dude. Rock and play golf year round. It's, uh, it's awesome. I have the best of both worlds. You know, I'm here basically for six months and back in Boston for six months in the summer and fall when it's beautiful in New England. You call all the sports. You've done everything pretty much under the sun. What is your favorite? What gets your juices going the most? What what you know, what I get sport? Asked that a lot, and it's really hard to answer because what I love, and I'm not trying to dodge your question, but what I love the most answer about it, it is, okay. <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick, I'd say football. Nick, Syracuse football, no. Yeah, uh, really any football, particularly college football. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one best. of the things that. I, you know, I was, was honored beyond belief to do Monday Night Football for two years, but I really missed college football. They're both great, but they're different, you know, and uh, I missed the atmosphere more than anything. You know, the atmosphere around college football games is unique and special, and it's one of the things that made this past season so hard, you know, to go to these stadiums with nobody there. I remember the first game we did this year, uh, Todd Blackledge and Todd McShay and myself, we were at Wake Forest. They were playing Clemson. And about an hour and a half before the game, the two coaches, uh, Dabo Sweeney and Dave Clausen, met at midfield with some administrators, and they're standing there talking. And they were playing fake crowd noise through the PA system, and they were talking about what was the acceptable volume level oh for God. the fake crowd noise. You know, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it was weird. It, it, I'm so glad they got through the season, and it looks like you know college basketball is going to make it all the way to the finish too. Um, hope the audio guy didn't mind that light no, tap. That's good. But um, uh, you, you're welcome, Mark. But uh, <laughs> he's a pro, but, uh, really? and it's amazing that we we have and that we will, and it's great that we've been able to continue playing the games, and with nobody really getting sick. You know, I think one of the great things was, you know, some of the conferences, particularly the Big Ten and the Pac-12, when football season started, you know, they were really really concerned, which I understand. I mean, there's nothing more important than anybody's health. Um, but the fact that we got through the whole football season, did you ever hear of anybody even getting really sick? I mean, you heard of players getting COVID and sitting out, but you never heard like, wow, that guy's in rough shape or that guy died, thank God. So I think all the sports have done an unbelievable job. They have. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, that we've made it this far, and now I think there's really light at the end of the tunnel. Matter of fact, on that Zoom call I was talking about with the Red Sox uh, management, you know, they were talking about trying to move quickly to increasing capacity and, and hopeful that the city and state government will allow them to do that it's just not the same without the fans or the patrons it's awful really <laughs> or the is. patrons the yeah. patrons we'll get a little patrons. we'll get some patrons yeah we'll get some patrons uh, yeah we're gonna have some patrons soon. i haven't heard the number yet but i haven't either but uh but some but, is better than none i said spectators once on the uh, don't do that john feinstein's book about the masters mm -hmm. he, he mentions it in there i said spectators once, like and i couldn't change it to patrons fast enough you know yeah. catch myself <laughs> and uh but, so I think you're allowed some mulligans. But okay. one of the things I came to appreciate very quickly about the Masters, and this is going to sound like a suck-up, and it is, but it's, it's also the truth, and you guys know, it's the best-run sporting event that I've ever been to. Oh, wow. I mean, just the way they get people in and out. And, and the prices, you know, in this day and age where everybody's <laughs> gouging the crap out of everything mm -hmm. and everyone, you know, the food prices in particular, and, you know, it's just... I think there's a class and dignity and respect for the patrons there that um, 
should be emulated in other sports and other sporting events. Yeah, you, you show up with 20 bucks, you can get drunk and full at Augusta. Yeah. Or even, yeah. you know, just you have like 12 Cokes if you or don't 12 want Cokes. to drink. Yes, yeah. you could be sober. But you can get like well. a beer and a chicken sandwich. <laughs> I, I haven't been a patron in a few years, but uh, not that long ago because I love to go and just walk around. But it's it's ridiculously cheap. As you yeah, say. it's cool that they don't just get because they could charge whatever they right. want and people would do it. You go to Jerry. You're trapped. I think they sell enough merchandise. To I think their merch sales the merch level right. out the bottom fine. line. Yeah, but even Jerry then, World. it's not. You know, they could they could charge way higher prices. Oh, you go to these college football games or Jerry World, yeah. like he said. Oh, you want a Coors Light? Oh, uh, yeah, that's seventeen twenty. Okay, cool. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, and then people, you're still gonna buy it. What are you gonna do? Yep, you're kind not of not drink beer while you watch football. Not possible. Let me ask you one thing that I think is always interesting because you mentioned you love college football so much. Mm-hmm. And the fan bases are very, very loyal to their teams. And they're not scared to say if they think a broadcaster is sucks. maybe he sucks or rooting, or rooting against their <laughs> That's team. That's a strong or word. Rooting for another I, yeah, team. Yeah. I, I, will, I will admit to we can occasionally suck. You know, we're all human. Uh-huh. Some days we're better than others. We try hard. I, I think most of us do. Not all. There are some guys I watch who I think they're mailing it in sometimes. But I Name think, names. No, I'm kidding. I will <laughs> when we're done. The, uh, but um, the whole you're against our team or you're for the other team – now, I will say this. We're all human beings. Sometimes you'll meet with a team and one, uh, both teams before the game, as we do. Unfortunately, this past year on Zoom, I hope we get back to in-person meetings. But, you know, sometimes one coaching staff is friendly and cooperative and tells you in- interesting stuff and it will allow you to go to practice. And the other guys are a bunch of jerks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I fight sometimes when I get in the booth, you know, the – that you know yeah. that i really don't like that guy and i really like him but when the game starts first of all you owe it to the viewers to not be that way mm-hmm. to not be biased and i think all of our thought processes are caught up in just talking about what we should be talking about at the right time in the right order telling stories at the right time talking about what's happening in the game is that a good call a bad call you know, that the, the fan part of you goes out of your head. You know, like I watched Syracuse during this tournament as a spectator sitting on my couch and I scream at the TV <laughs> and I scream at the officials and I'm texting my friends. The officials are out to screw us. And, and when I do a Syracuse game, I don't, I feel this much of that, you know, yeah. because you're just so focused on, on doing your job and you owe it to the other side. If there are, you know, the people who are cheering for their team to not feel like, you're biased, so uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I I think that's one criticism of announcers. That's kind of you, you mentioned the meeting with the coaches before a game. What what's like the, your preparation like before a game? Say you have a Saturday afternoon football game. Well, football is the hardest preparation by far because uh, there's so many guys on each team. You know, a basketball game, college basketball game, there might be seven, eight, nine guys on each team that are going to play. Where in football, there might be sixty on each mm-hmm. team. And it's just, you know, I grew up around football, around my dad. When I went to Syracuse, another one of the great blessings in my life was I was a work-study student in our football coaching staff uh, for the late, great Dick McPherson, who was like a second dad to me. One of the great honors of my life was when he passed away two and a half years ago, uh, his family asked me to give eulogy at his funeral up in Syracuse. And uh, it was hard because, you know, I was going to cry every 10 seconds, and I pretty much did because he was just such a remarkable man. One of the things I learned from him was, you know, in Syracuse, you're the football coach or the basketball coach. That's a big deal. You know, that's the only game in town, and you're the most famous person in town, you and Coach Beheim. 
who was the coach when I was a student there. That's how long he's been there. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, but, um, but I just learned how he interacted as a public person. You know, he treated everybody well. And not to be fake because he, he cared about everybody. He cared about me. I was the lowest man on the totem pole. Um, but I kind of, I watched how hard football coaching staffs work to prepare for the game all week. And I think I kind of, I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I, I hope my colleagues would say that this is true, that I work really hard in the preparation for the game. You know, it's by far the most important thing. 98% of my time is probably spent in preparation, 95%, and it's the other 5% that's the time you're on the air. But, you know, you want to know as much as you can, particularly if the game goes south, you want to hold the audience and have some, yeah. you know, good human interest stories or good inside information that the coaches told you or something to hopefully keep the people who are still watching entertained. Do you have those plugged in pre like, all right, here's my four or five stories I got. If things start to drag ass here and I need to keep everybody, I'm going to go to one of these and then bam, check them off. Yeah. And go. we do that as a group, you know, like we will to answer your question better, Colt, you know, uh, we do the game Saturday. Sunday, our producer on our college group, uh, Josh Hoffman, asked us to sort of watch the game that we just did. And you know, I can remember almost all of it, so I don't necessarily have to watch the tape. You, you, know, you can probably, I'm sure, after you play in a golf tournament, you can remember every shot you 100%. hit and what the yardage was and was it good or bad and why was it good or bad. I'm like that, and I think a lot of people in our business are too. But... Um, but, you know, we kind of, so on Tuesday, we'll have a, a conference call and we'll, as a group, and we'll review the previous game, what was good, what was bad, how can we be better, and then we'll preview the next game. So we've all started in our preparation because you want to give the graphics people enough time to build graphics during the week that we, of information that we find interesting. And they also tell us a lot of stuff that they found in their research that they want us to know and think we might want to talk about. And then, you know, there's flashbacks or whatever. Hey, can you get that clip of that kid when he was in high school and he, you know, dunked a basketball from the foul line or something? So uh, it's a collaborative effort the whole week. And I try to watch at least two or three games of uh, that the teams have already played, the, the most recent oh, wow. games. You know, part of it's just to, to help me with the familiarize myself with the names and numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times you can do that, but if you watch the film, you know, okay, that guy is he's number nine wide receiver, but he's also six six and he's the tall, skinny guy, and the other guy's the shorter guy who plays in the slot, whatever. So and you can steal some good stories from other broadcasters. You know, a lot of times they're doing preparation for you. Yeah. You know, they tell a story like, that's a good story, you know, mm -hmm. that and that should be repeated. Because one of the things we learn is not everybody watches every game that all of these teams play. So uh, repeating the best stuff is a good idea. Well, you've been on live television, live radio, all that stuff for a long time. There's no way you've gone through all this time, as good as you are, without a little slip up or a little hiccup here or there. You oh, got sure. any standouts of times where you just you got done saying something, you're like, whoops, that's probably going to be a problem. Oh, yeah. I think I might have told you guys in the previous appearance on your many media platforms. This, this <laughs> Numerous. Is a, this is an enterprise. I mean, Numerous, now you have a set. Dude. I mean, when I met you guys... Uh, I think you had, you know, two Dixie cups and a string that you guys were talking into. <laughs> That's it. Now you have a staff and uh, this impressive <laughs> set. But um, yeah, I accidentally said shit on the air. Um, That'll happen. Yeah. And it wasn't as a curse word. Um, I was doing, it was, it was a Red Sox game, but it was on ESPN. It was with Ray Knight and Dwight Evans for the Red Sox was coming to the plate. And I think he had 2,299 career hits. So I wanted to say he was one hit shy of 2,300, mm. and it didn't 
quite come out that way. You got it mixed up a little bit. You got it mixed up, and then I and you know you know when you all of us like misspeak sometimes, or we utter a sentence that doesn't come out quite right, and then you run it back in your own head, and I ran it back in my own head. And I thought, oh my god, I just said yeah. what I said. And then I looked at Ray Knight, and he had his headset off. I'm like, "Yep, that's what I said." <laughs> so I said, "I did say he's one hit shy of 2,300, didn't I?" And Ray Knight said, "Absolutely, that's what you said." And the guys in the truck are like, "No, that's not what you said." Like, I, mean, I think um, if, if you do it long enough, the slip ups. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's not like you said it on purpose or just slip. You just crossed your words up. Yes, one Syracuse. hit shy. That's hard to say. One shit shy. That's easy to say. Yeah, it's easy to say. And. uh Syracuse wins the basketball national championship in 2003. I go with a couple of buddies of mine and uh, meet a bunch of Syracuse friends down there. So they win. Carmelo Anthony, Jerry McNamara, who's on the coaches. Legend. Yeah, he made seven threes, I think, in the championship game against Kansas. So I have to go do the Frozen Four college hockey Mm. in Buffalo, New York. And I love hockey, and I love doing the Frozen Four. College hockey was really my first job at Nesson. Uh, in Boston before I got the Red Sox gig a few years later. But the, so it's Monday night. We go to Bourbon, we go to the Syracuse Hotel and we go to Bourbon Street. And the, uh, my flight was at maybe seven or eight in the morning. So literally it was go to the hotel, uh, you know, throw your stuff in a bag fast and get to the airport. And it was not a direct flight from New Orleans to Buffalo. But anyway, I was not, at my sharpest for a couple yes. of days. So we're doing Understandable. the Frozen Four, and I'm pretty sure it was the uh, University of New Hampshire Wildcats, who are blue and white. I had done a lot of Big East basketball that year. Connecticut, really good. And New Hampshire scores a goal, and I scream, it's a goal for Connecticut. Uh, <laughs> New, Hampshire, <laughs> New Hampshire people probably love that. And I'm like, you know, I'm never staying out all night, two nights before a game again, so or three nights before whatever. But it was amazing. It's, it, it, you know, and that's why you know I've changed. Raftery, Bill Raftery, who is the absolute best, by the way. And I don't know if you, either one of you have ever met him, but you need to have him on the show. First of all, he's the nicest, funniest guy, and he's the most well-liked person I've ever met in life. I mean, when he dies, I don't can't imagine where they're going to have that funeral because it's not going to be big enough, even if they had it at Madison Square Garden. But, um, you know, he he likes to go out and have a good time, as I'm not telling tales out of school there. And it got to the point where I told him, I am not going to dinner with you the night before the game. <laughs> like, I, I, I put in the – and in football, I have the two nights before the game rule just because, you know, you can't – I don't know if, you know, maybe some guys play golf a little better if they're hurting a little bit, but, you know, it, it's, you owe it to your employer and you owe it to your audience to be at your best. <laughs> and it just got to the point where, no, you know, you, you don't want to be on the air doing a big Monday or talking like you know, the late, great Jack Buck, you know, was, I think that was his voice, but, you know, you'd be kind of, you know, there, there, that, that, yeah, that, uh, frogginess that yep. you get, the hoarseness when you're a little hangy is because it, you, you're dehydrated. Hey, been there, done that. We've oh, had yeah. it on radio a few times. Oh, I bet you have. it or not. So I have the football two nights before the game or on lockdown and basketball one night before the game. That's fair. Rafferty likes to go though, huh? I was, yeah, I and I'm, as I said, and he's, you know, and he, Bill is in, you know, in mid to late 70s now and uh, I think he lies about his age. No kidding. He goes backwards. <laughs> well, you know, one a couple many years ago, someone wrote an article about him, and they got the age wrong by like it was a year or two low. 
And he was like, I think I'm going to adopt that. Yeah. I'm like, Bill, you don't need to worry about that because people will hire you when you're 100. You know, people love you. And, you know, he's at the top of his game. I mean, he was just made the lead analyst on the Final Four, what, four or five years ago? And he was in his 70s then. It should have, you know, and I understand why. Billy Packer had that job for all those years, and he was fantastic. So, you know, that's one of the frustrations of this job. You know, as somebody who's trying to get up and, you know, golf commentary, there's a lot of good people ahead of you. You know, a lot of times it's just you're terrific, but there's not an, an opening or an opportunity. But, uh, you know, Bill's won the sports Emmy for the best uh, national analyst in any sport in his mid-70s. You know, he's he's still hitting his stride, and he's uh, – but he, he can go, and he's never sloppy. I love that. And, yeah, and – He'll be up the next day with the perfect hair, and he'll be in the gym at whatever time doing his, you know, tra- his, uh, he likes the elliptical, mm-hmm. um, and and j- never looks like he's hurting the next day. And part of it is he, it's a social activity for him. Yeah. You know, it's not a I just want to go out and drink. It's a he loves people and he loves spending time with people. So he's not. I gotta meet this guy. Yeah, he's a pros pro. Yeah, he'll stay out, but he's not. He's the furthest thing from sloppy I've ever seen. And that's one of the things that bothers me, like when you on social media which i don't do but you know it's a good idea yeah i know believe me but the you know but i know people talk about you know his nickname is uncle one more because it's not one more (laughs) it's one one more place where's the next place we're gonna go (laughs) but uh remarkable stamina and as fine a person as i know and and i don't have a good nickname yeah Yeah. uncle one more we gotta talk a little bit about your golf game and we'll just stay on the topics of broadcasters where would you say your golf gang ranks among the elite broadcasters in this world. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to think about that. Uh, first of all, thank you for including me among the elite. Elites. Yes. Elite. Um, it's probably easier to start with. You know, I haven't played with that many of them. Um, I'm better than Tariko for sure. <laughs> I can uh, vouch for that. Al Michaels, not, you're better than Oh, him. way, way better, better than Al Michaels. Yeah, way better. Well, actually, one of the thrills for me was one day at Whisperock, as you guys might remember, I think, were you hosting them or you might? I hosted with you. With yeah, uh, I, we guys. had a picture Tariko. taken. And yeah. All three of us were, you know, the recent Monday Night Football announcers. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. Although I never got the picture. I don't know whose phone I'll, took I'll, it. But I'll do you have it? Yeah. Just, the ceiling. No, yeah, I would it's really. It's my Instagram. <laughs> it's my profile picture. <laughs> I don't even want to think It was about my that. Christmas card for five years. <laughs> Ma, can you edit that out, please? <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, I understand Joe Buck is a good player. Um, I've never played with him. He's a friend. I've been trying to get him to come to my charity tournament, but it's hard because it's a Sunday-Monday thing, and he's always doing football in the fall. So, uh, But I, one year I ran into him at Oakmont, wonderful place, mm-hmm. maybe my favorite of any golf course I've ever Not played. easy. Not easy. But my partner, I have a buddy of mine, Kurt Coulter, who's the seven-time club champ at Oakmont. Oh, wow. you got to be pretty good, right? Yeah. He's Jim Furyk's cousin. And he's, and he's perfect for that course because everything is a high, really high, beautiful fade that lands soft. My little, you know, snarky little hooks coming into those greens. <laughs> I called snarky. It's just a little ropey. It's coming in hot. A little, a little less altitude sometimes than you'd like, but uh, that doesn't play quite as well there. But I ran into Joe there one year, and he was uh, playing with Mark Bulger, the old quarterback who's, who was the member. And... I think they were in the top flight or one of the, you know, and what I understand, Joe was low single digits and pretty good. You know, Billis is a vanity handicap. He says he's a six or seven, but he's, <laughs> I'd play him even and win money in half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> half. There we go. I'm trying to think, well, who else? I've never played with Nance. I don't know how much Jim plays. He's 
He's got to have a decent. He's got to have a good game. Houston. Yeah, right. Houston. No, I'm sure he's the really, really good. He belongs to. I, I think he's at Wingfoot. And Can he get on some places, Jim? I would think he could. He lives yeah. on Pebble Beach, as we all know. So, mm-hmm. um, and just the best. He's he's one of those people who's good at everything. Mm-hmm. He really is. But, I love uh, those people. Uh, at our place, John Bucci Gross is a really good golfer. Yeah, he um, plays a Joe Bucci's four or five. I would say three, four, five, somewhere in that range. Loves Michael it, Eves yeah. loves golf. Mm-hmm. Good player. I've uh, played with him. He's you know legit five or six, four or five. I might be selling him short actually, but um, I'll tell you who's not is at your place. Chris Berman. I've got paired with him one year at AT and T. Doesn't have the smoothest game. No, but he is a blast to play with. He is a blast to play with. <laughs> I, I played in the Deutsche Bank Pro Am with him one year, um, and I think the and what Padraig Harrington was our pro. Talk about a fun guy to play with in a pro am. Yeah. And the one thing I remember about that day is I've never seen anybody sweat like. Chris <laughs> I was literally about to bring it up. He's the only guy that brings a sweat rag around Pebble Beach when oh, yeah. it's like fifty. Yeah, <laughs> he had on you know tan khaki pants, and it, it looked like he had jumped in a pond. Yeah. Yeah. The year I played with him at Pebble, he plays with J.J. Henry, and they made the cut, mm-hmm. and they were right around the number coming in, and I've never seen a human more nervous in my and life. And Chris? Yes. He the was day we sweating, played, he helped. He out. was a 16, 17, 18, yeah. whatever, and, and he he helped on no, a lot of holes. He did. It was yeah. hilarious to <laughs> he, watch, though. He gets done with the rounds, and of course they love to interview him because he's fantastic. It looks like he just got out of a murder investigation, like an interrogation. He's dabbing himself, and he's got sweat <laughs> everywhere. I was like, you just played Pebble. Most guys are in sweaters, and he's just dri- he's dripping. Yeah, I think he could sweat pretty much any place. And, you know, <laughs> imagine you're doing Major League Baseball in the summer. Oh. And, you know, you're at the All-Star game. He's doing the Home Run Derby all those years. You know, you're in Cleveland, and it's 100 and humid or whatever. And what I remember about Padraig Harrington, and it's been really fun. And one of the nice things, like doing a little bit of golf for ESPN, is the golfers are such good guys, and they remember you. Like, I played with Lee Westwood one year, and I was probably a year later. We had the British Open, the Open Championship. And I walked over toward him on the practice tee, thinking he's not going to remember me. And he struck up a conversation like I was his long lost mm-hmm. best friend. That's awesome. And uh, so it really helps you, you know, do your job too. When you, you know, we play, I play with Billy Horschel and a bunch of other guys who, you know, uh, Brant Snedeker, who could not have been more fun. And, but Padraig Harrington, we get on the first tee and he says, I can't, I, I'm Irish, but I can't, I can't do the accent. But he said, okay, fellas, you know, the most important thing today is to have fun. And I thought, oh, that's great. And he said, and what's the best way to have fun? He says, to win. <laughs> he said, so, you know, it's, as you guys know, it's, how many times have I said, as you guys know? I'm trying to be deferential to you guys. And I'm really not sure if you really know this stuff or not, but I'm pretty sure in this case, you, <laughs> you know this stuff. The, it's par is your partner, right? Mm-hmm. So no matter if everybody makes a million, you got a par. You yeah. can't, you got a par no matter what. So, so he said, like, we have a par no matter what. So I will only get mad if, like, you lay up or you, you know, don't go for the pin. Or he said, we have five of us. We only need one score. And, and I'm like, I really like this guy now. Because, you know, as, a, as an amateur but who likes to, who's competitive, you know, you want to feel like the guy's engaged. And he's engaged in conversation with you, but he's also, you know, a little bit interested in trying to win you guys probably don't care about winning but uh pro am no no, no, no. <laughs> but, I but he really yeah. did and he came in afterwards into the he was the only pro who came into the amateur food tent afterwards you, know, you looked oh, around the room yeah and uh yeah, that's not normal and sat there yeah maybe not but he sat there for a long time 
and in a very polite way said, oh, after a while, okay, like if you guys want to know what I think of your golf swing or game, I'm happy to give each of you a point or two. And we're like, sure. So he was like, you know, you stand too far away from the ball and you do this and blah, 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 blah. Man thought, that's really cool that he cared enough to, you know, make some mental He's notes. Great. And what do he tell awesome. you? You're perfect. Don't change yeah. anything. I said, uh, get a bowling ball and sell the clubs. Give up. We had him. He was in your chair. Just a wonderful like a guy. Awesome wonderful, guy. wonderful guy. I yeah. really enjoyed it. And a guy I've enjoyed running into you know, over the years since. Yeah. He's going to be a great captain. Special dude. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be hard to root against him, but we yeah. will. Are we going to have fans? Yes. Yes. I hope so. I have to. You can't have that event without fans. 100%. Without All question. Right. Time for the E9? Yes. All right, Let's Sean. hit it. This is the emergency nine. Emergency nine. Emergency. All right. We ask this to everybody, and you got to really think here. Okay. Movie made about the life of Sean McDonough. You can pick any actor, dead or alive, to play you. Who's it going to be? Oh boy. We also get to give our opinion. As okay. Well. I think I got. Was a good it one. just based on like physical resemblance? No. Or whatever you want. Who could play it's your you? Movie. Who could play well, you? Well, this is shameless name drop, but one of my fam- uh my closest friends is Matt Damon. There you go. So, oh Jesus, uh, what a name yeah. Get over yourself. Yeah. And I think he's an amazing actor too. So uh and I know he'd care. Like I've watched him what he does to prepare for what he does. Matter of fact, the movie, um the military movie where he was the medic and Saving Private Ryan. Had, say, yeah. Uh <laughs> which I'm sorry I'm chuckling, but it brings to mind a uh a story that he told. Uh that is probably not suitable for this setting, Perfect. but we might. Well, we might. We'll, we'll uh, see. We'll yeah. see how There's it goes. Not many that, but we, you know, he, you know, he, he was addicted to drugs in that movie. So, to get ready for that part, he was running 15 miles a day, and he stopped eating, and it got to the point where his heart started to have a problem. And he went to a doctor, and the doctor said, "Yeah, you're you're basically becoming like anorexic. Like you're. I know you're into preparing for this part, but you, you know you have to eat something, and you got to stop running 15 miles a day and so he's uh, super into uh, whatever it is that he's preparing for. And just a, a great guy. You know, I've known him since he was 19 years old, maybe. And yeah, he he's a little Matty on he the block. The, yeah. He, you know, good Boston boy yeah. in Cambridge. And, um, the, uh, and hasn't changed a bit. I mean, I knew, he was a runner for a game that I did uh, in the booth in the old Foxborough Stadium back when the Patriots were terrible, which is hard to believe that ever happened, but it did. I was doing a game for CBS, a regional game with Hank Stram. I was probably going to 4% of the country. And, uh, and Matt was our booth runner. And he was really excited to have the gig because he it paid 50 bucks. And he needed hmm. the 50 bucks. So doesn't right. need the 50 bucks. Now he now. makes like 50 million. So you were, yeah, you were Matt Damon's does. boss for a little bit. What's that? That's nice. You were Matt Damon's boss. You could boss uh, him For one day. Yeah. But I still have people at CBS who say, like, I can't believe that you know, Matt Damon was our booth runner back in... 1990, whatever it was. But He's really changed. found a nice niche yeah. for himself. Well, who'd Super you have person. For Although I will say this, if we're going to rag on people about golf, sure. You know, I had been trying to bug him and other people. His dad was a passionate golfer. Matt had no interest in golf. And then he got the part in um, the Legend of Bagger Vance. Yeah. Thank you very much. Legend of Bagger Vance. And he, they sent him, which might have been a mistake, someplace to basically get instruction mm-hmm. for five or six weeks. And they, he was a robot. You know, if you watch him in the movie, Joel Gretsch, who played Bobby Jones, who I met, you know, through Matt, because uh, they got to know each other, obviously, making the movie. Joel can, that's Joel. He can really play. I mean, he's got a beautiful, natural golf swing, but he grew up playing. But Matt, Matt's a robot, and, and he's still a terrible golfer. He doesn't oh, play a lot. Can't have he, it all. He's a good family man, which isn't, a, you know, he'd rather spend time with his kids, which most golfers out there say, really? 
But uh, <laughs> that's the hard thing with golf movies. Those you need a good actor, but you also need a guy that is believable. Yeah, for some of the shots. but and there he aren't called many of those. me from wherever he was, Savannah or Hilton. I can't remember. It was somewhere down the southeast. They got him with a, a coach, and he got a lot of instruction. And he called me. He said, "Like I'm a five day golfer, and I'm addicted. Why didn't you make me play this sport?" I said, well, "I've been trying to tell you for years. You, you know, you should play golf. You'd like it. He's a very good athlete." Um, yeah. But he, you know, he just his swing was a little robotic in that movie. I think. Well, Matt, Stop if, making Matt, blockbusters. Matt, if you come to a golf sub bar, we'll give you some lessons. He would come on. He'd love you two guys. It'd be incredible. Come on, yeah, we'll set that up. All right, that's because he likes everybody. That's that's the reason. Oh, oh okay. Well, that's not a compliment. He's, he's not, he's <laughs> Forget you, Matt. No, okay. <laughs> I had Paul Giamatti. Okay. Who I think is awesome. Really? What's okay. wrong with him, dude? He's a talent. Um, he's super I, talent. I th- he's very talented. I, do you think he occasionally overacts? Like there's a little time like I'm like wow this I guy, like him you know he's who he really is, an right? actor like he's billions, billions he's the DA he's a district oh, attorney yeah. in billions sideways gotcha. he's good okay. he plays a variety of roles I just went kind of off looks a little bit I had Ed Harris great actor yeah awesome I, I'd, do it I'd, all. I'd, I'd prefer him Ed Harris no offense to Paul I mean Paul Giamatti I'd like to be as Ed good Harris at my job like as a, he is at his like but. a military badass I don't know I mean you're, you're he does it all you're a dude Very talented man. All right, um, like Sean. yeah, I'd stick with Matt Damon. Okay, well, this this <laughs> we maybe, probably can't afford him. Do we have a good budget anti- for this movie? What's that? Do we, do we have a good budget? No, for dude, we got unlimited funds. Matt. Unlimited funds, okay. especially if Matt's in it. Uh, this may you may have just answered it, but all right, you're gonna call a football game. You get to have a Boston icon in the booth with you. Would you rather have Wahlberg, Damon, or Affleck? Maybe I remove Damon from that since you're close friends with him. Uh, Who would you rather have well, as your color guy? I had Affleck once as a color guy. Uh, really? Yes. Um, you know, I know Ben pretty well through Matt. And uh, we were in Toronto, and I think we were doing a Red Sox game. They're obviously huge Red Sox fans. And that is 100% legit. Like people say, oh, you know, sometimes these celebrities are fake sports fans. They are huge Boston sports fans, both Matt and Ben. And the Wahlbergs for that. Yeah, they're real too. too. Yeah. So uh, Ben came on the air with us. He's making a movie in Toronto. We talked during the day. He's coming to the game. I said, why don't you come up and you know, come on with us? And he ripped every Red Sox player. Like, you can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't believe this guy's not in Pawtucket. They had, we had a pitcher named uh, Rolando Arojo. Uh, spot starter relief pitcher. You know, kind of borderline. He was fine. But uh, he, he p- was pitching well in this particular game. And Ben's quote was, yeah, you know, he seems to have his Aroho-ness under control tonight. Like, <laughs> so That's a good line. He, he buried Lou Merloni, who I actually now do the Red Sox games with on the radio. And, you know, Lou grabbed me in the clubhouse the next day. Like, tell your boy Ben Affleck to blah, 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 blah. You know, it's like, I used to get that with my dad, too. You know, my dad would rip somebody in the paper, and i walk in the clubhouse the next day. Tell your father he kissed my rear end. I'm like, what does that have to do with me? I, you know, so you call him. You know, I'll give you his number. You can tell him. It's just nothing to... Nothing to do with me, but um, Ben as a color guy. But Ben, Ben was a good color guy. Um, you know who uh, would be a great color guy is Donnie Wahlberg. Mm. Another guy who loves golf. Really good guy. Uh, has played in my charity thing a few times. I figure if I mention people who play in the charity thing, they might come back. Yeah, because I know this will have a wide, yes. wide viewership. Tons. Tons. Smart. Yeah. I'm going to get the clip dude. and send it to Donnie large. Wahlberg. You and can say, have whatever uh, you want. Charge admission. Yeah. yeah. A couple Next of years year. ago, he had to. Uh, he tried to have this shooting schedule for Blue Bloods changed so that he could come to the tournament. His oh, name's dedication. on the the, the uh, championship trophy at our tournament is the Will McDonough Memorial Cup, and Donnie's name is on it. His his group won it one year. But, oh, that's uh, nice. Really good guy. 
Beautiful. And Mark Wahlberg, Mark, is a member at Boston Golf Club, which, as you both know, I am passionate about and think is the greatest golf course in the history of creation. Gil Hans. <laughs> got to see it. Yes, we got to. Yeah, we got to well, get there and see. I've heard ish. not just Maybe from someone you. will invite you. Yeah, I've invited you many times. Yeah, we had a group from Westboro come out last summer, and I made the mistake. I was out of town. I made the mistake of telling the BGC people, just put them on the scholarship, whatever they want. Well, yeah. Yeah. Apparently they had the number for the, the halfway house for the, the mm. airstrikes because uh, I'm still paying down my bill in installments. For, uh, <laughs> Wrong guys. Yeah. Wrong, Wrong guys. Dudes. Wrong guys. That is awesome. <laughs> All right, number three. If you oh. had one more game or event to call in your career, you can pick anything. It's your last one. What's it going to be? Ooh. Well, if you had asked me this a couple of weeks ago, I would have said the Super Bowl because that's the biggest event mm-hmm. in American sports, right? But uh, – I'm hoping to be involved with uh, ESPN's upcoming coverage of the NHL. So oh. I would say the Stanley Cup final. That would be a heck of a way to go out. Yep. Playoff hockey, well, pretty hard to There's nothing better than playoff so hockey. So good. There's nothing better. And if, I would not have guessed that, but that's awesome. Yeah. I, guessed I mean, that the either. Super Bowl, anybody would yeah. want to do the Super Bowl, right? I mean, I had, I've had the pleasure of doing the World Series already. And, uh, and a lot of them, the Masters and all these, you know, the golf majors. Um, so, yeah, the Super Bowl. But the Stanley Cup final would be... It'd be great. Hopefully, all the brass at ESPN is watching this and thinking that that's a great idea. I like that idea. As I'm becoming more passionate about hockey, yes. I can I can it's appreciate great. that. It is. It is. There's nothing. Nothing better. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Next one. Which movie broadcaster do you identify with more? Bob Uecker as Harry Doyle in Major League, or Jason Bateman as Cotton in Dodgeball? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were both fantastic. I mean, like it's. And from what I'm told, you know, I probably lean toward Euchre just because I know him from, through, you know, the baseball connection. He's been doing the Milwaukee Brewers games for all these years. And I don't know if either one of you have ever met him. I've no. never met Jason Bateman. We I'm hope a huge to. fan. You know, not just that movie, but his other work, too. But Euchre uh, is, he's, every, you know, people told me, and I've never asked Euchre, and I should, that a lot of his scenes in that, those movies, um, he kind of said to them, let me roll with the script a little bit you know kind of let me ad lib and do his own lingo so uh from what i'm told he kind of made it funnier than it might have been Uh, anyway unbelievable it's he's unbelievably funny but he's 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 really funny in person too and uh and a great guy you know what we talked about when i started doing the red sox games when i was 25 the the uh the brewers used to play in milwaukee county stadium before their beautiful new miller park and the, the visiting TV booth was really small, small enough that you couldn't like do the on-camera open in the booth because it was too small to put the camera in. So you, there was a like a little uh, catwalk that hung down below the broadcast booths, and you'd have to go out there and tape it, you know, 15 minutes before the game. So, and, and Euchre's booth was literally right here, and Euchre's almost this far away. So, you know, you can imagine, you know, yeah. you know, you're doing it uh, t- to tape. I was working with a guy named Bob Montgomery. Who I think Monty was the color man in uh, in Major League, and I don't know if that came from my partner Monty or not. But I always <laughs> want to ask you for that too. I don't think so. My my Monty was a lot sharper than the Monty in the movie. But um, so you'd be sitting there, you know, welcome to County Stadium tonight, the Red Sox Milwaukee Brewers game, one of a three game series. Tonight's game is brought to you by Budweiser and by Pepsi and by blah blah, and and you could be. Uh, he used to work with Pat Hughes then, who's now the great voice of the Chicago Cubs on radio. And he'd be like, hey, Pat, does Monty do anything on that telecast down there? Or does he just stand there and stare at Sean the whole time? You know, we're loud enough for us to to hear him and a lot of stuff like that. Uh, 
I want, went into the booth one time to ask him about what a pitcher uh, who was pitching that night for Milwaukee had. You know, what's he have? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, he's got a you know average fastball, sinks it a little bit. He's got an okay curveball. He has a gorgeous wife. You know, it's spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get to the stuff. Yeah, matters. right. You know, it's uh, so it's what a legend. Yeah, he's the, he's the best and such a nice guy too. Really killed that role. Yeah, oh, is there any? You know, it's. You could debate if that's the greatest sports movie of all time. Without question. Yeah, yeah he was in the he, he made the movie, right? I mean, it, the, the rest of it was pretty good, too. But he was, His role he was, was the stand-up, for sure. Awesome. <laughs> Ten. All right, number five. Have you ever needed medical attention during a game? Uh, yes. <laughs> you, you you cheated. <laughs> <laughs> How do I cheat? Because you, you, no. first of all, you smirked when you asked me the question. Um, more than once, as oh, a matter okay, of fact. Well, we know more than once. Um <laughs> When I first started out in Boston at Nesson, as I said, I really started doing college hockey and then other college sports, college soccer, some local college basketball. But uh, they had me start doing the Red Sox pregame show. When Nesson was first on the air, it was on in 3,000 homes in all of New England. You think about how few that is, right? So you don't know if anybody's watching. But I I hosted the pregame show. It's called Red Sox Digest. So, and the studio was in Fenway Park. It wasn't outside in the park it was in a building basically attached to Fenway Park kind of out in behind left field so I would go over you know when you're not you're young and you're not making any money I would go over and have the the lunch in the press room and then I'd come back you know I'd already written the script for the show and uh so I shaved right before we went on the air and apparently I cut myself on my chin so I get up on the set. I've got the script. There's no teleprompter. I mean, there's the most primitive. We had nicer TV cameras in the communication school at Syracuse than this camera I'm looking into. And, you know, put the ear thing in. The stage manager's there. And I said, okay, 30 seconds, Sean, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, looking through the script. And there's a red dot on the table. And I said, uh, was somebody having lunch on the set? There's like ketchup or something and, uh, or blood. And Amy Rosenfeld is now a huge executive at ESPN. She was our stage manager. She like, oh my God, it's you who's bleeding, right? So I look in the corner of my eye at the, the monitor and it wasn't just like, you know, sometimes you cut yourself with just that little, it was a, a stream that went from here <laughs> all the way down to my white shirt collar and was, you know, traveling down my collar. It looked like someone had taken a hatchet to me uh, 30 seconds before we were on the air, right? So now... Eight, seven, you know, yeah. like, what? <laughs> so I am reading super fast and I am uh, skipping things and they're yelling in my ear. The producer, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and I, you can't answer them on the air. What I want to say, well, if you look at the monitor, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. Gushing blood. Gushing blood. Like, not just a little dab that nobody. Would. So, uh, yeah, that. And then one time um, during the NCAA tournament, I had the flu. Uh, for a couple of days, was in, we were in Minneapolis, was with Bill Raftery and, uh, and Michelle Tafoya, who was at CBS at the time, was our sideline reporter. And we're doing the Elite Eight, and it's a big game, and I feel like death, I mean, literally. And um, one of the guys on our crew, you know, I was hoarse and dehydrated, you know, I've been sick. And one of the guys in the crew said, I used to work with Pat Summerall, the late, great Pat Summerall, let me make you what I used to make for him when he was a little dehydrated for a different reason. And, uh, and it had all this lemons and stuff in it. And it, I think that exacerbated, you know, you 
sometimes you start burping something that you've <laughs> ingested and you're yes. like, this might have been worse. And we got to the under four media timeout. You know, I kept looking at the clock like, I just want to make it to halftime so I can run somewhere and mm-hmm. get sick. And it's still 3.50 to go, whatever. And I said to our producer, like, I either need to, someone needs to bring me a bucket, or I'm just going to stick my head under this table, or I need to get up. And they had warned Michelle, like, Sean, if he goes down for the count, uh, you need to be ready. So um, they said, no, just run, go. So I get up, here comes Michelle. Um, I think she's still mad at me to this day. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I, I just talked about this because uh, there was a, she lives in Minnesota, and a, a writer up there did an article about Michelle was really like the first woman to ever do the NCAA tournament because she filled in on play-by-play for the – and I, uh, one of the team trainers came in at the half and gave me some medicine, said, you'll, you'll be able to finish the game. He said, you might feel like crap on the flight home tonight, but this will help you at least get wow, to the end of the incredible. game. So, yeah. Late and eight, no big and game. then, of course, Pat O'Brien, I think it was, uh, in the studio, so, you know, Sean McDonough's had to leave. Uh, he's taken ill, and now – you know, my friends and family all think, you know, Something did he have a heart attack? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? But uh, well, no just, more of that. No, it's sorry. not as glamorous as it looks. Nope. But uh, yeah, that was. It's a terrible feeling. Right? You're doing the elite eight, and you're all yeah. fired up to do it, and all you can think about. You know, we've all been that sick, where all you can think about is how sick you are. And I probably shouldn't have done the game in the first place, but uh, but Michelle did a great job. Yeah. Don't puke on the mic. That's a good no. thought to have as you go out there. Got it. All right. Next one. Your Syracuse grad, which is the major sports broadcasting Correct. school, as you as you clarified earlier, between the two other of the big ones, Northwestern and Maryland, which well, one where brings did you, you get that list from? What's is that? This, is this the Drew Stoltz rankings? Or? Yeah, this is pretty. No, they're, they're like, both really. Yeah, good. Northwestern. I mean, there's a million. They're, they're, they're quick great. to tell you on every broadcast, but yes, Northwestern and Maryland. Mike Greenberg, Brent Musburger, Michael oh, Wilbon, tons of them. I mean, they're mm-hmm. everywhere. Oh, all right. Between Northwestern and Maryland, which one brings you more joy when they lose a big game? You know what? I, I just don't have that emotion at I all. I knew you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't care. He's a um, nice guy. Yeah. No, but I don't. Deep I don't. down, I mean, it's I probably Northwestern. I uh, I am more, um, you know, like when Syracuse's rivals lose, maybe I get some joy out of that. Um, when your colleagues school that you work with all the time, they lose a big one and don't get to play in the Big Ten Championship or whatever it might be that isn't like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Forget those See, guys. like I, uh, Chris Collins is a friend, the, the basketball coach at Northwestern. I like Fitz, too. He's a good guy. He's done a fantastic job. They just gave him like a 92-year contract to keep being the coach. because yeah, he's going to be there NFL teams were going to start uh, coming there. And, uh, yeah, same thing about Maryland. I don't harbor any ill uh, will. Yeah. It's just a nice guy. It's, you know, what's that? You're just a nice guy. I you try don't wish to be. bad on anyone. I really don't. I wish bad on a lot of schools. He does. He hates <laughs> yeah. everyone. Yeah, really much everyone. Do you have yeah. some Anyone more than the other? See, I would like to interview you guys and ask you tough questions. Oh, we can do that. We can set that oh, up. Yeah. No problem. Okay, what school it's do you hate the most? Pro. Which school do we hate the most? Yeah. Uh, I love seeing Texas lose. Why? Because they run they're where everyone goes. They get all the recruits. They get all the best stuff. Yeah, they they got all the win. They got the most money. I know, which they is lost great to right Abilene now because Christian they're losing. The night. Exactly. And blew up my bracket. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you are the only one. Others. Do you yeah. have a school that you hate? Uh, I mean, I grew up, I was a Texas fan, so I hated Oklahoma uh-huh. and Texas A&M. But yeah. And everyone else in the state. See, that's natural. <laughs> like when I was in school, uh, the big rivalry was Syracuse-Georgetown. And that was in basketball. You know, and that was as heated as it could possibly be. 
literally you just waited until when's the first fight and not like today where they hold me back, hold me back. I mean, this was guys trying, really trying to get at each other and throw some haymakers, including the coach. See, I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Although I'm glad that coach Bayheim never got close enough to John Thompson because I, as much as I love Coach Bayheim, I don't mm. think that would have ended well. That's a tough matchup. But Coach would not go down without a fight, I tell you that. He's a <laughs> so they're, they're in different weight classes. That's yes. Awesome. All right, number seven. Was Monday Night Football with John Gruden the first time you had the best hair on the broadcast? <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be, right? You're probably the only time. Um, yeah, I mean, I looked at. Someone sent me a clip the other day of an old Red Sox thing. I had like the worst comb over. Actually, it was not a Red Sox game. It was Raftery and I doing the 1992 NIT final. And Corey Alexander sent it to me, who I just did the ACC tournament. He was a great player of Virginia. He was in the game. And, uh, and he, he was watching on TV, and he took a screenshot of the on camera. And, I mean, it's like <laughs> everything. Like if, if there was a gust of wind, it would have just been strands of hair going this way. And... Um, when Gruden, <laughs> Gruden's got to be tough. When Gruden went to the Raiders, um, somebody sent me again. I'm such a non-social media person, but I don't know the difference between like a meme or a GIF or whatever those things I don't are. Either. But it was a yeah, it was a picture of of, of John and Mark Davis, and it, and the oh, and the caption. It's a said, good one. Yeah, the caption said uh, the hundred million dollar contract. Uh, that John Gruden signed with the Raiders is believed to be the largest deal ever between two people who cut their own hair. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Those Davis, two right there. Got, it's not good. Yeah. With John, I got to feel like the, the hair and camera pe- or hair and makeup people come in. There's like, all right, yeah, that's good. That's yeah. as good as we're we going to have. We did not have hair people. That's as close as we're going to get. Broadcast. We had makeup people, but we did not have hair people. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, next one. More intoxicating moment for you. The first time you saw Fenway Park or the first time you met J-Lo? Hmm. Uh, well, I don't remember the first time I saw Fenway Park because I was really, really young. Um, I, J-Lo for sure. Yeah, tell um, us. Um, well, there's actually two. The first Ooh. time I met her um, was, I believe, at Matt Damon's 30th birthday party in New York. And um, Matt had just made Legend of Bagger Vance. And um, yeah, I mean, she came in with a few other really famous people. And she's spectacular. Have you, have you seen her in person? No, but I have it pretty right. well it's locked into my brain. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> what she smell like? They hang out a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're familiar. So now, obviously, uh, fast forward, she's with Ben Affleck. And... Do you remember the Red Sox Yankee playoff game when um, they had the fight and yeah, Pedro. Uh, Pedro Martinez yeah. threw Don Zimmer on mm-hmm. the ground? Yeah. And I loved Zim. You know, when I was a kid, Zim was the manager of the Red Sox. My dad and he were friends. Zim was a really, really nice man. So anyway, um, it was like a four o'clock in the afternoon start. You know, in the fall with the kind of the gray sky and the you know, sun low in the sky. And I met a couple of friends of mine at the baseball tavern down the street. It was four of us, and we're getting close to game time, so let's walk up the street. So it's only a block or two to Fenway, and there's a, like a Lincoln Navigator or something that's crawling along in the traffic. And we're on the sidewalk, walk, and I hear out of the window, fake Boston accent, Sean McDonough, you're a wicked hottie. And, <laughs> and I look over and it's Affleck. So I walk over and kind of, you know, give him the 
bro hug through the, the glass. And Jennifer is sitting next to him. And it looked like Hollywood had spent 24 hours lighting this. You know, it was like the, the sunroof, the sun perfectly <laughs> through. Like, I mean, she just... So I say to my three buddies, uh, hey, come over here. And they're all like, we've met, we're good. We've met Ben before. You know, we're I'm like, no, no, come over here. Like, so they came over. And I said, this is Ben. This is Jennifer. <laughs> well, for six innings, I don't think any of the three of them said one word. You know, it was <laughs> like they were in a trance. That is awesome. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I think she's, she's you know, I've met her a few times since, you know, obviously with Alex Rodriguez um, doing the Sunday night games. She's traveled around to uh, some of the games that he's done around Major League Baseball. And she I'm seems to be jealous. a very she nice person. Teams. Too. I certainly don't know her well, but uh, seems to be a, a nice person. And obviously she seems very to be very nice. Yes, I, I say everybody's agree. nice. I would agree. But I, I'm, a, I'm an easy grader. I like you two. I envision her point. as a very nice yeah. human. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one. You're good Already? Is this one. the longest this it. it's ever taken people to answer nine questions? No, no we love okay. it. That's okay. why you're here. Your good buddies, Jay Billis and Bill Raftery, are both hanging from the side of a building as you arrive. Oh, God. Okay? I love where this is going already. They both fall. Raftery. They both fall. <laughs> <laughs> they both fall at the same time. Who am I saving? <laughs> Who do you try yeah. the hardest to catch? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so mean, Colt. <laughs> yeah. So um, call it a no-win situation. No, it's a no-win situation. Uh, it would be easier to catch Rafter. You know, Billis is a big guy. Um, uh, oh, gosh. That's like, which one of your children would you save? I mean, they're really <laughs> we two like to put you in tough spots yeah. here. Yes, you do. Um, I don't know. It'd be tough. You know, Rafter's probably a little closer to the end than Jay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would let him drop because yeah. I watched. Um, but he would survive it. God would not. God would save Bill Raftery no matter how slim the odds well, were of him surviving. I watched a 10-minute video on YouTube where Raftery absolutely abused you. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, when he, when he spoke at my induction yes. into the— It was incredible. Into the, it was a roast. I was laughing He was supposed so to present hard. me. It was great. You know, it's just the Student Radio Station Hall of Fame, which, which is a historic station in Syracuse, W-A-E-R. So they have a Hall of Fame, so they are putting you me get in his Hall of Fame. So I asked, when Raph's not even a Syracuse person, right? It's very nice of him. I think it was in the summer to come up and, you know, take a day to, to present me. And I really regretted that I invited him. <laughs> it was, you need to watch I love it when you, yeah. you get in the, the Hall of Fame at Syracuse Radio, it's a roast. It's it not was like, hey, come up and say roast. something nice. It's like, destroy this it guy. Was, and what peeved me was that he used some jokes that I think I had given him in the past. Oh, he stole. And turned them yeah. on me, which is, there's nothing worse than that but use uh, your own material on you. but I, I love raf i mean i just i love raf he's awesome. he's the best tough well, break when my phone rings at midnight i know it's him you know usually you stop i don't want to say drunk dialing people but uh when you're like 22 or whatever you know you get out of college maybe that's not a thing anymore but um a couple of years ago my phone rang it was really really late um but not as late here because we're in arizona so it's a basketball coach. So when I answered, I said, well, I don't want to incriminate, but I said, uh, hey, Jay Wright, at this hour of the night. <laughs> Hello, Jay Wright. Right. I said, at this hour of the night, I thought it was going to be Raftery. And he said, who the hell do you think I'm with? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. Well, Sean, thank you best. so much, my man, for sitting down. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Always a pleasure. I'm so... Uh, Happy for your success. Surprised by it, uh, but but <laughs> happy for you're it. You're not alone. And no, not surprised. You guys uh, have quite a following now. You know, when I 
we're out here in Arizona, and I think I told you before, you know, I, when I was on with your radio show one time, some buddies of mine from Boston, like, you know those guys? That's you awesome. Know, yeah, that's uh, you no, know, you got a, a great following, deservedly yeah. so. You're you're fun and you're great at what you do, and you know what you're talking about. Thank you, you so much. And we and appreciate good luck that, getting man. better guests down the road. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. You're a blast. Thanks appreciate for having you, me. Shani. My pleasure, you, guys. All right. Well, that was Sean McDonough on Golf Subpar. Sleaze. I mean, what a career he has had, and obviously, it's not. It's far from over. But he's been some of the coolest places in sports. Called some of the biggest games there is. Uh, really cool to sit down and talk with him. Yeah, I got into Monday Night Football there for a little bit, but it's called Everything Under the Sun. The most impressive thing, I think, and, and kind of, you know, we do some broadcasting on radio for golf. You do it on television, things like that. Baseball has so so much dead time, and you don't really think about it until you're the guy that's got to fill all that airtime with, with talking and doing baseball, coming right out the gates and starting with baseball. I feel like that's got to be the toughest, given there's like a minute in between pitches, and you're just like, oh, what a beautiful day we got. You know, you just got to make shit up on the spot just to keep the keep the thing going. And he does it as well as anybody. It's impressive. I mean, some of the places he's been, you know, Cameron Indoor, you know, calling games at Notre Dame, everywhere, all around. I mean, he's obviously diehard Syracuse, which he uh, he, he bleeds orange. Yeah, and he's another one of those guys you play – you play around a round of golf with them. You're going to get three or four stories that you never heard before that are awesome. Also, these guys that call so many different sports like he does, their brains and how many stats and just different things they can remember going back. Like you can you cannot give like a sports trivia question that Sean doesn't have the answer for. It's crazy like the, the way they com- compartmentalize all those different sports. And I love the fact that he didn't really say it, but I know he he believes it. He does have better hair than John Gruden. Yeah, without question. If you got, yeah, you don't need. I think just by default, if you're a breathing human being, yeah. bald, flow, whatever, you're probably above him on the stand. Awesome. Well, that was a blast. Slays, let's get to the gambling part. You actually had a good week this week. I'm very impressed. Don't don't say it like that. This was coming. I said I had a feeling this was the week, and thank God, the money's so stacked towards the top, so so heavily weighted. I was like, if they lose this playoff and I get whatever the second place money was I was I was gonna lose it this got me right back in the discussion well, let's tell the listeners what you were trying to pull before because we were discussing you know coming down the stretch if your team won of Cam Smith and Mark Leishman producer Mark asked us he goes do we add up both guys totals correct and you said yes of course you do this is of a course. huge week which would have valued over valued over 2.1 million dollars so basically what you're saying is the Zurich classic is more valuable than the Masters. no it was like 1.067 or whatever for the win and then like 400 and so it would have been no, no, 1.5 no. split no no 1.3 for first place in a, in, a, in a purse as large as the zurich and then 800,000. well that for feels second right. place. 2.1, so 2.1. Dude, team guy. So all of a sudden you're using now the zurich is the biggest thing you're, using I mean, you're, two guys you're getting up. you're getting a little ahead of yourself you're getting a little crazy that's not how you do it you made just under 1.1 million for the win Congratulations to you, but stop trying to cheat the system. What am I supposed to do? Argue against myself? Like, no, give me whatever the least amount of money it is I can possibly win. That's what I want this week. I was, we used two picks. I was trying to get two dollar amounts. Add them up. Well, if that's if, logic, if that was how it was, then this would be the most important term of the year, right behind the. I players. would argue that it should be. It takes a lot of skill to analyze two players and then pick the right team. All right, it's well, very difficult. Congratulations on picking one of the one of the top picks. Thank you. All right, producer Mark, did he cut into that lead a little bit? Yeah, as Sleaze mentioned, it was a very top-heavy payout. So he brought home $1,069,300. And you had that T4 with two other teams, but was only good for $209,667, trimming the lead to $803,456. 
doll hairs. Mm, that, Jesus, I was getting my ass. I thought it was closer than that going no, into the week. It wasn't. God, where I mean, did I, I go wrong? I finished the max T4, play? guys. It's not like I picked a no, bum out there. But it's still $800,000 difference, and I'm still down 800 I was down one six. Yeah. Huh? That match play killed me. All right, still chipping All away. Right. We'll yep. get back to the cliches in a minute. All right, here we go. We're on to the Valspar Championship. Innisbrook my golf course, one of the toughest honor. golf courses on the PGA Tour. Paul Casey is the two-time defending champion. This place always used to bitch slap me around. I think I made the cut one year and finished like 70th. It is it is a hard, great golf course. Yep, this is a hard golf course, big boy golf course. You don't see the minus 24s and things winning here. So you got to go with the big name. Paul Casey, this is one of those ones like, all right, it's slapping you in the face. You got to pick Paul Casey. He's back-to-back champion. He plays great here. He's coming on our show and said he plays great here. You got to pick him. I go against the grain type of a fella. I'm going to go with a guy that plays well in really hard golf courses. Patrick Reed, okay? Good course history here. Lost playoff in 2015 out there. T2 in 2018. If you go back to his last five events, top 25 in four of those, including an eighth at the Masters, which is the last time we saw him playing. Puts it and chips it pretty much like Camp Smith, one of the best on the planet. I'm going to go with Patrick Reed at the Valspar. Well, it's going to be hard for you to cut into my lead. Uh, I know, Are you picking I know you're not going to like this, but I, oh. I, I do my research the night before. I figure out who I want, and I'm going to commit to it. This guy, he's, he's lost in a playoff to Jordan Spieth here. He's finished second. Um, to Paul Casey a couple years ago. He had a very poor 2019 here. That's all right. He forgets about those things. Patrick Reed's my guy. I have several different pools. I'm not changing for you. Listen, I'm this not going to mix it up, and I'm not going to do this one. I have four one-and-done pools. I can't change up my lineup and have a different one here and there. I'll get all confused. Patrick Reed's my guy. Sorry, Slees. This is what happens when you get hot, dude. People want to ride the wave. They want to just draft Listen, behind you like the I'm actually, Tour de France. I'm actually worried that Patrick Reed now is going to miss the cut because as cold as you've been all year, I don't want to come down. Not feeling too cold right now. Patrick Reed. All right, this is the strategy. I knew this would happen. Once I get hot, you can pick the same, and then it gets. Well, and just then think I get you should be happy up. because now you get the honor again next week. Are you going to pick my same guy next week? I don't know. I'll let you I know. did my research in the car on the way over. You don't do any Well research. thought out. Yeah, you, yeah, as you were late. Getting and we here. came with the same guy. Just a oh, little. <laughs> All right. Well, we both got Patrick Reed this week, so well, probably shit. fade Patrick Reed. Probably still going to be. I feel like I'm going to be down about 800000 going into yep. next week. All right. Gonna be, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm okay with it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Next week, another huge guest and a beautiful human being. Tell them who we got. Adam Thielen. If you don't know, now you know. And you all know he's a star wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. We got to play some golf with him. Got to sit down and talk with him. Dude, uh, a 10. We always give Mark Moller shit for being the perfect human being. Like, what do you suck at? Why are you not good? I think Mark may be t- taking a little slip, slip down the totem pole. Adam Thielen might be bumping up because it's hard to find a flaw in this dude. He's good at golf. He's good at football. He's nice. He's well-spoken. He say, does all the shit Great right. interview. Good-looking. Football. Rich. He does it all. He was fun to talk to, too. We had a really cool interview. We get into some of his early, you know, how he got to the NFL, which has been told a bunch of times, but then some golf and some other stories, too, that, uh, that I don't think a lot of people know. Yep. Check it out on next week's Golf Subpar. Everybody have a great day.